Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Well, today, we're not doing anything about either of those two. We're not talking about the Songs of Christmas, and we're not talking about seven. Uh, Gordon gave me the opportunity two months ago to just really kind of process through and pray about what God wanted me to teach on, where the Spirit was leading me. And I really wrestled with this because it's like, okay, we just ended Thanksgiving, which I hope your bellies are filled still like mine is. I'm, I'm full, beyond full, right? But we also have Christmas coming up in three weeks. We also have my birthday on the 23rd for all of you to know, just so you know. No, I'm just kidding. Don't worry about it. But we have Christmas coming up. So with that being said, we have a lot of things happening. And it's not just that we have all these things happening. You have family that you're maybe hosting or you're going to families' homes. You have Christmas celebrations with your coworkers and with your significant other's coworkers that maybe you don't like very much. You have gifts that you got to buy. You got traffic everywhere you go at the most ridiculous times of the day. But one of the biggest things that happens at this time of the year is those mountains, those challenges, those things that have maybe happened throughout the year. The loss of a family member. A job that maybe you no longer have. School that you dropped out of. The list goes on and on. Broken relationships. Those things tend to surface at this time of the year and they become massive. They become this mountain. And we we put them in the closet and we've hidden them away and we're like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of avoid this. Maybe because we've tried to climb it on our own far too many times and we've fallen on our back to the point where we're like, I just don't want to do it anymore. But for some reason, Christmas or this time of the year, although it's joyful and it's full of fun and festivities, there is a lot of hurt and brokenness that tends to surface at this time. And so I really wanted to wrestle through, how do we handle those mountains? How do we work through them? Because again, that is the big question, right? When I'm faced with this, what do I do? Because I just want to box it inside. I want to hide it. I want to walk away from it. I don't want to deal with it. So we're going to look at the early church and see how they were met with a challenge, a mountain, and how they worked through it. And we're going to look at a man by the name of Ananias. Now he handled a mountain in his life as well. And how he worked through it. And we're going to then apply what they did to our lives so that when we are faced with those challenges, and a lot of us here today are faced with them, how do we work through them? How do we climb to the top of that mountain and see the mountain for what it truly is? A time of growth and a time of spiritual maturity. When I was in high school, my sophomore, junior, and senior year were easily some of the most challenging times in my life. A mountain was created in my life that I can't even imagine. I couldn't see the top of it. The clouds were there. When I was a sophomore, I'll never forget my mom and dad sitting my sister and I down and letting us know that my dad would be stepping down as the pastor at the church that we were a part of. I'd grown up my entire life with my dad being a pastor, and I loved it. I looked up to him for that. But the thing is, that wasn't the biggest challenge. That wasn't the biggest mountain that this put in my life. The hardest piece of this was the way that people treated my sister and I because we decided to stick around in the youth groups. It got so awful for my sister that she left youth group one night crying because of the way the leaders were treating her and never to go back to the youth group ever again. It got so bad for me that I had people stopping me from going into the youth room and telling me I didn't belong at the church because of the names they would call my father and the names they would call me. Fast forward a year and a half later, I'll never forget sitting down with my mom and my dad and them notifying my sister and I that they were going to be separating And then a little while later that they would be divorcing. In the blink of an eye, my life went from normal to abnormal, from consistent to inconsistent. It was this brokenness that washed over me. And then a little later on in that my junior year, 
My friend group fractured and fell apart. My rock, the foundation I had at that time in my life that I looked to for some normality with everything that was going on was destroyed. Some of my buddies wanted to go off and live the life of the world while the rest of us wanted to live with Christ. But the thing is, we weren't holy and perfect. We shamed them for what they were doing, which actually pushed them further away. And then the icing on the cake is my senior year. I so desperately wanted to go to Michigan University. I knew it was probably a pipe dream, an unrealistic expectation, but I applied anyways, and I got in. I sat down with my mom, and I told her I got in. She's like, yeah, Jason, we just can't afford it. Your dad and I can't swing it. It's too expensive. On top of that, it would be too much of a challenge to get, to get you to go there. <sighs> my dream gone. See, the thing is, this mountain was placed in my life. A mountain that a lot of us have seen, maybe not in the same way, but we all have seen those mountains. And we look at them and we go, I just can't go beyond it. And that's what I did. I go, I can't see beyond this mountain. I just, there's no way I can possibly climb it. And I tried. I tried to climb it on my own many times and I fell on my back every time. And so what did I do? I ignored it and I avoided it. So how do we keep ourselves from falling into that temptation of avoiding the mountain? How do we keep ourselves from trying to do something on our own that God never intended for us to do on our own, which is trying to climb those challenges, deal with those difficult things in our life on our own. How do we do that? Well, we're going to look at the early church in Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9. We're going to be in the tail end of 7, the very beginning of 8, and the very beginning of 9. But first, before we open up the word and get into the nitty-gritty of this, will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this morning. What an honor and a blessing it is to be in your presence. All of us broken and battered and beaten, people that do not deserve you and the grace that you bestow upon us, but yet you have given it to us, and you also allow us to be in your presence, Lord. I pray that the Spirit overwhelms each and every one of us in this room, that it touches our minds and our hearts, that you open us up and prepare us for what you have for us. I pray that the words that flow from my mouth are not from me, Lord. I pray that they flow from your spirit alone. And if anything coming from me is from you, may you strike it from my lips, Lord. Touch our hearts and our minds. Open us up to what you have for us, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. So what we see going on in the early church up to this point, what we're about to read, is powerful. It's, it's massive, immense growth in the church. The church has started with Christ, right, proclaiming to his people, I, you are going to be my feet and my hands on earth. You are going to bring the good news to anyone and everyone you possibly can. That is your primary objective. He then ascends into heaven, and what do they do? They do exactly that. And the Christian faith is exploding in Jerusalem. We're seeing hundreds and thousands of people come to know who Christ is. We're seeing people being healed. We're seeing impure spirits being removed from people's lives. It is powerful. The church is growing so much that they need to add church leadership to it, and that is where Stephen enters into the picture. He becomes a church leader in the early church. He's moving and grooving. He's changing lives by the way that he teaches the word. Well, see, the thing is, the Jewish leaders, especially the Sanhedrin, take, take offense to what is going on here. They, they take offense to what the early church is doing, obviously, right? They thought they eradicated the Christian movement when they got rid of Christ in the first place. But now it's exploding and booming, and they want to make a mockery of the church. And so what do they do? They bring Stephen into the Sanhedrin to put him on trial, to say, you are doing all of these things wrong. These things are inappropriate. 
But what does Stephen do? His response, he stands on the truths that he has been taught by Christ and by those who followed him. He's standing on the truths that are in the Old Testament that are written through God himself. He stands on those things empowered by the Holy Spirit. He then shares them with the Sanhedrin. And what we're going to see is the response that the Sanhedrin has to Stephen's words. Again, chapter 7, verses 54 through 58, and then we will read 8, 1 through 3. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open in the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And a little more forward, and Saul approved of their killing of him. So before we continue reading, this is a pretty hefty, weighty situation. Stephen has taken the time to proclaim the truth, the gospel message, the the firm foundation that we all should stand on. He stands on that, proclaims it to the Sanhedrin, who are, are Jewish professional individuals that should have received what was being said to them with open arms. But instead, how do they respond? They respond like children that are not getting the toy in the toy aisle at Target. They gnash their teeth. They get infuriated. They then, as a child, would covers their ears as if to say, we don't want to hear this. And then they yell at the top of their voices to say, I don't even want you to be able to talk. And then what do they do? They go a step further. They then charge at him. This isn't a few men. This is many men. Charge at Stephen. Drag him through the entire city where plenty of witnesses are seeing this. They are causing a scene. They then drag him out of the city gates and they proceed to stone him to death. It gets worse, though, as we continue 8, 1 through 4, sorry, 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is about as hopeless as a situation gets. The early church goes from here, and in a 24-hour period of time, rock bottom. They have a leader in the church, a man that they are all looking up to going, this dude is rocking it for Christ's kingdom. He is making it happen. And in the blink of an eye, drug through a city where definitely Christ followers are watching this happen. He is then stoned to death. And to make matters worse, those who are witnessing what is occurring here proceed to Saul and lay their coats at his feet as if to say, good job. Good job. We approve of what's happening here. We're good with what you're doing to Stephen. This is good. Saul, invigorated and empowered by what is occurring, going, yep, now I can really do the persecution that I've always wanted to do to to the Christian church does exactly that. Drags men and women out of their homes, imprisons them, burns homes to the ground, and it's so horrific of a persecution that the Christians flee. All but the apostles are gone from Jerusalem. 
I don't know about you, but if there was any time to throw in the white towel at the beginning, this would be that time. It's, everything was going so good. And then this mountain appears in front of them, and it's now, what do we do? We're all scattered. We don't know what's happening. People are being thrown in prison. My loved ones are being killed. I, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do. But let's see how they respond. Immediately following what we just read, Acts 8, 4 through 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The first thing, the place that, the, where we must start if we desire to conquer these mountains, if we desire to climb them and get to the top and see them for what they truly are, which is a time of growth and spiritual maturity and get beyond it, this is what we must do. Make sure the word, God's word, is always on the tip of your tongue in the front of your mind. See, the thing is, the devil wants to feed you lies when you have these challenges and these mountains in front of you. He desires to see you quit. He's going to feed you lie on top of lie on top of lie. You're too weak. You're too insignificant. Yep, you're not good enough. Yep, it's too big of a mountain. Yes, the deck is absolutely stacked against you. You can't go on anymore. Just quit. But see, the thing is, we got this book in front of us right here. And it's not even a book. It's the words of God. It's living. It's breathing. It is something that goes beyond our comprehension. Right in front of us. That is filled with truths on top of truths. That scream at us, the mountain is not too big. You are not too insignificant. You are not incapable. But the thing is, if it's not on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue... Those lies are going to seep in, and they're going to feed our emotions, and we're going to start believing them. So, the beautiful thing is by keeping God's word on the front of our mind, we keep ourselves from believing the lies that the devil wants to feed us. Because again, if this is not on the front of our mind, and it is what is of the world that is on the front of our mind, we're going to start believing the lies that the world is feeding us. But the thing is, if this is on the front of our mind, if God's truths, if the truths that Jesus proclaimed and the truths that are in this book are on the front of our mind, we cannot help but believe them even though the world is telling us something differently. Because again, God is the creator of all, he is the judge of all, and he is the owner of all. And if, some, if he is telling us these truths, why would we believe the lies of his creation? But the thing is, it must be on the front of our mind. The other beautiful thing is by keeping his word on the tip of our tongue, we remind others and ourselves that God is still present. Isn't it beautiful that when you sit down with someone that you love or someone that is near and dear to you or maybe a stranger in Starbucks and they're having a rough go of it, they got that challenge, they got that mountain in their life and they're going, I just don't know what to do. And then you bring forth the truths that are in this word to them, you share it with them, you go, don't forget about these truths. Isn't it beautiful that they walk away 
with a newfound love and a newfound I got this, but you do as well. I know when I do, I walk away going, I'm so happy I was able to share that with them, but wow, that's right, God is always present. Not only was I reminding them, but I was reminding myself of the same promises that are in this book. We see that right here in Acts. First of all, they preach the word wherever they went. You will not preach the word if the word is not on the front of your mind first. So the thing is, we see with the early church that it was there. The word was on the front of their mind. They were dialed in to God's word. And so it just flowed from their mouths. It was a natural thing for them to do. And because of that, what do we see at the very end? So there was great joy in that city. A city where I'm sure there was brokenness. A city where there was a plenty of people lost. Because of the truths that Jesus had proclaimed, because of the truths in God's word, there was joy that was found in that city. We're going to fast forward to Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. But first, if we want to ensure that the word of God is on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue, if we want to ensure that this is happening, because again, that's where we start, we must start by reading the word. We so often go, well, I just don't get it. Why, why aren't the truths popping up in my head when these things occur? Well, are you in the Word daily? I know we hear this constantly. It's almost like Bible school. Oh, read the Word daily. Yeah, but if we aren't in the Word daily, then the world is going to take hold of us. What we take in is what comes out. We must also spend time meditating on the Word, sitting in silence and allowing the words that we have just read to wash over us and permeate our body. And then we must then articulate that by praising God through our words and prayer and giving it to him and asking him and seeking him. We must read, meditate, and pray if we desire to have the word on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue. So now we fast forward to 9, verses 10 through 17, and this is a portion of scripture that for me is very powerful. I love this, because we see a man, Saul, go from a broken, uh, and uh, realistically a very evil, self-centered man that wanted to see the church burn. He wanted to see it destroyed. We see that man go from there to becoming a redemption story. He is a man we look at and we go, you know what, maybe Joey is too far gone. Maybe Sally is too far gone. But then we read the story of Saul and we go, yep, no one is ever too far gone. But someone that gets lost in the shuffle in this story is Ananias. And what he goes through in the mountain that he is presented with in this story is perfect for what we're talking about this morning. First of all, the man already has one mountain in front of him. That is the persecution of the church. He is already dealing with probably being removed from his home. He is already dealing with hearing about loved ones and people that he cares about being removed from their homes and thrown into prison. There is a fear every time he walks out of the door to proclaim the gospel to those around him that he might be thrown in prison himself. But that's not the only mountain that this man has to deal with. And we're going to read that right now. So we're going to read 9, 10 through 16, and then we'll wrap up 17 in a little bit. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I don't know about you, but if I'm praying, meditating on the scripture, and I'm reading, and God speaks to me, I'm like, what's up? This is stinking awesome. God is talking to me right now. 
And I'm sure Ananias was doing the same thing. And if I put myself in Ananias' shoes, I'm thinking God's going to give me the golden ticket to end this persecution. He's going to give me the answer of how we handle what is going on right now in our church. But we're going to see how the Lord, what the Lord actually has for him. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So not only is Ananias dealing with the the persecution in all of that was brought forth to what we had read with the early church, he's not just dealing with that. He is now dealing with the situation of having to go to a man a man that he absolutely knows, a man that has been persecuting the church, that has been throwing his loved ones into prison, and he has to try to step through the threshold of that door and greet that man. That's why Ananias is going, whoa, God, time out, time out. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Don't you know what this guy's been doing to your church? Like, really, you want me to go to this guy and you want me to heal him? I, I don't know about that, God. There had to be a lot of fear welling up in Ananias' body when this was occurring. But God goes, nope, you're, this is what I am calling you to do. But the thing is, the biggest mountain here, I don't believe, is fear. I think it is the fact that he had to go into the, the home where Saul was, the enemy above all enemies of the Christian church, and he had to heal him. It's easy reading it for us to go, oh, that's not too bad. But think of what Saul had done to the church. And he's being asked by God to go heal that man. That's heavy. That's a mountain. That is a mountain. But how does he respond to it? Let's see. Then Ananias went to the house, and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we must do, again, we have already started by ensuring that the word is on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue. The second thing that we must do is really three things wrapped up in one is this. Trust in the Lord listen to his directions, and lean on his abilities. When the deck is stacked against you, when pushing forward seems impossible, when the mountain is far too big, the world is going to affirm that. The world is going to say, yep, the deck is absolutely stacked against you. Yep, it is impossible. Yep, the mountain is far too big for you. And you know what? You can't do this. But, God will do everything to counter the voice of the world. 
and he can absolutely do the impossible. God is standing there going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. It's funny how under our own power and abilities, pushing forward and climbing the mountain may actually and is probably impossible. And let's be honest, if it's not impossible, in a lot of ways we actually end up making it worse before we make it better. But the beautiful thing is, by trusting in God and by listening to his direction and by leaning on his abilities, anything is possible. But we must learn to trust in God. We must learn to listen to his direction. And we must learn to lean on his abilities if we ever desire to get to the top of that mountain. And if we ever desire to see that mountain for what it truly is, yes, it is a challenge. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is unfair. But most importantly, it is a time of growth and it is a time of spiritual maturity. But it's all puppy dogs and rainbows, right? If, if, I don't, if we just say, well, trust in the Lord, trust in God, uh, uh, lean on his abilities and listen to his direction. But how do we do that? How, how do we do that? Well, we can take a page out of Ananias' story and do just that and learn how to do it. So, we trust in God by allowing the situation to work itself out without forcing our way through it. We patiently wait for God to move the mountain in front of us. See, Ananias here, if he didn't trust in God, he had two very easy options. He could have done A, told all his homies, hey dude, Saul's blind and chilling in this dude's street, uh, on Straight Street in this dude's house, Judas. Let's get some pitchforks and let's go kill him. Why not? This guy's been uh, harassing the church. He's the, the primary reason why the church has been scattered in the way it is. Why not do this? This is the perfect opportunity. Option B is bailing out. I can bail out. I don't want to do this. This is too scary. This is too challenging. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm just going to kind of ignore the fact that God has asked me to do this, and I'm just going to go my own separate way. But what does Ananias do? He trusts in God. Yes, I might walk through that door and I might get beaten to death. I might get thrown into prison. Who knows what might happen to me? But I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to trust him. He allowed God to move first and he simply followed behind him. We have this nasty habit when we have the challenge in front of us. This nasty habit of trying to climb the mountain as quickly as we can, as fast as possible, under our own power, and then we fall on our backs. And we look back at God and we go, where were you? And God's standing there going, I've always been here. I've been right where I've always been. You just tried to move this way, and I was like, if you just patiently waited, I was going to move you this way. If we desire to trust in God, if we want to learn to trust in God, we must patiently wait, allow God to move in the situation, and follow his lead not try to lead and expect God to follow ours. So now how do we listen to God's direction? Because this can be a challenge. Most of us are not going to get an audible voice like Ananias did where God's going to go, Jason. You know, it's probably not going to happen. It's going to be very different than that. But still, we can get a page out of Ananias' book here. We listen to God's direction by slowing our bodies and minds down, simply sitting quietly and asking for the Lord's direction. We allow the silence to overcome us. 
See, the thing is, Ananias, although he got the audible voice, what was he doing? Guarantee he was sitting in silence, reverence before the Lord, praying, meditating, giving time to God. And God appeared to him and spoke to him. See, the thing is, I got this, this pretty nifty watch. It's, uh, it's an Apple watch. It's, it's more than a watch, though, right? It's a phone on my wrist. See, the thing is, whenever my wife texts me, it pings and it lets me know that Mary Beth texts me. Whenever I get a phone call from my father, it pings and it lets me know that my dad called me. And if I miss the phone call, it tells me I have a voicemail. It also lets me know when the Bengals lose because they've lost 11 games straight and they're probably going to lose the 12. So it notifies me every time my team loses. See, I also have a phone that's not in my pocket right now that notifies me even further where I can go into the text message and see the entire story, everything, every conversation that we have had. I can also pull up the voicemail that my dad left me and I can listen to it and then, of course, proceed to call him back. I can also go into the stats of the Bengals game and see why they're so terrible and why they lost the football game. I also have a television at home that's got Apple TV+, Plus, that's got Netflix, that's got Hulu, that's got Amazon Prime. It's got all the ridiculous streaming services. I got a wife that I spend time with and that I care for. I got a family. I got in-laws. I got a job. I got hobbies. And a lot of you out there, you have children that you're caring for. You have grandchildren. You have loved ones that you're caring for in the hospital. You have businesses that you're running. You have far more on your plate than I could ever imagine. The reality is from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we lay our head back on the pillow at the end of the night, we, have, we can fill every waking moment of the day with something to the point where we're like, where did the day go? If we desire to know where God wants us to go when it comes to the challenges in our life, the mountains, we have to be willing to slow down and remove the distractions. You gotta be willing to take the watch off. You gotta be willing to set the phone in a different room. You gotta be willing to turn off the television. And you gotta be willing to tell your loved ones, hey, mommy needs some time with God. Hey, daddy needs some time with God. Hey, babe, I need some time with God. And you need to go remove yourself from everything and just let the silence overwhelm you and let what God has for you permeate yourself. Because again, if we do not slow down, the world will overtake us and we will never give God the silence that he deserves. And that is how we hear God's direction for our life. So again, we know how to trust God, what we must do to do that. We know how to listen to God's direction, but how do we lean on his abilities? Because this is where we slip up a lot. We lean on our own abilities. Well, we lean on God's abilities by trusting in God and listening to his direction. We allow God to move first, and we do what he wants us to do. See, the reality is Ananias would have never leaned on his own abilities if he had not trusted in God and not listened to God's direction in this story. Never. He would have gone in and done it under his own guise, under his own abilities, and it would have been a colossal failure. It would have looked very different. We see it in our lives. For those of you that have children, you see it with your children. I know for me, with my dad and my mom, if I did not trust my dad and my mom, if I did not listen to my parents' direction in life, I would have never leaned on their abilities to teach me what they taught me. I would have tried to do it under my own guise constantly. We cannot try to lean on God's abilities, lean on him to carry us through the challenge if we are not willing to trust him. 
Our failure to trust God would mean our failure to lean on his abilities because if we're not trusting him, who are we trusting? Ourselves. And if we are not willing to listen to God's direction for our life where he wants to take us through those challenges, whose direction are we going to listen to? Our own. And in the process, we'll lean on our own abilities. So if we desire to allow God's abilities to overwhelm us and become who we are and allow him to carry us and sustain us through that challenge, we must learn to trust God and must learn to listen to his direction. See, the thing is, challenges are inevitable. Those mountains in our life are going to show up. There's no way to avoid them. Life is absolutely unfair. We, are fill, we live in a broken, shattered, wounded world that sin has overtaken. But the, beauty, the beautiful thing is we have God. We have our Heavenly Father who sent His Son to live for 33 years, do three years of ministry, and teach us and show us what it means to follow him in a righteous manner. And in the process of doing that, he taught us, I got you. You trust in me. You listen to my direction. You lean on my abilities. I got you. It's going to be okay. Yep, what you're dealing with, it's hard, and I'm so sorry you're having to go through this brokenness, but I got you. But see, the thing is, we must have the word on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue if we're going to remember that God's got us. And then in the process of doing that, we learn to trust in God and go, yep, God's got me. I can trust him in this. I know God's got me. Even though I don't see the top of the mountain and there's clouds covering it, I know God's got this. And even though God's taking me left and right and up and down and it doesn't seem like the direction makes any sense, you know what, God? I'm going to trust in your direction and I'm going to listen to it. Why? Because I'm resting in the silence. I am giving you your daily time. And then finally, instead of us trying to climb the mountain on our own and do this under our own abilities, we go, God, you move the mountain You make this happen. You carry me to the top. I give it all to you. No longer do I want the steering wheel. No longer do I want to carry this weight. I'm giving it to you, God. You sustain me. So again, after everything happened to me when I was in high school, I I tried to do life on my own. I stopped reading the word. I stopped praying. I stopped spending time with God. And so because of that, I no longer had the, the truths on the front of my mind and the tip of my tongue. And because of that, I allowed the lies of the world to start seeping into me and telling me, you're never going to get over this. You're never going to get through this. You're too broken. You're too shattered. It's just inevitable you're going to fail. So I believed it. That led to me trusting in myself and not trusting in God. I, I trusted who I was. So I tried to climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. And I kept falling on my back and falling on my back and falling on my back. And I ignored the mountain eventually and just tried to go around it on my own. I leaned on my own abilities and I failed over and over and over. And it wasn't until God rocked my world and I decided to get back in the word. I went, you know what? I'm going to get back in the word. I'm going to start reading this. I'm going to make sure the word is on the front of my mind and the tip of my tongue. And so instead of the lies of the world seeping in and telling me all of the things it wanted me to believe, I began to believe the truths that were in God's word. You got this, Jason. I got you. It's going to be okay. 
this is not what you think it is, Jason. That then led to me trusting in God. That led to me listening to his direction. And finally, it led to me leading, or leaning on his abilities. See, the thing is, my father's relationship in mine was completely broken. I, ne- I will never forget sitting in Starbucks with my dad and cussing him out and blaming him for everything in the divorce. I didn't talk to him hardly at all for about a year. But see, the thing is, through all of those things occurring, my relationship with my father today is the best relationship a father and a son could ever have. He is by far my best friend. I go to him for anything and everything because of what? Because I trusted in God, I listened to God's direction, and I leaned on his abilities. See, the thing is, prior to all this, I, I dated and dated and dated, and I just never seemed to find a girl that was right for me. I never seemed to find someone that would fit the mold that I thought I wanted. I wanted a worldly mold. But because I did these things that we read about in Acts, I'm now married to the most amazing woman in the world. I love her more deeply than I could ever imagine. And I am so beyond blessed to have her. She loves me in my brokenness. She cares about me even though I am a little ridiculous and stupid at times and I can be stubborn. She loves me even in that. (laughs) It's my dad. (laughs) And then when it comes to my schooling, I went to Fresno State out of high school, flunked out, straight F's, flunked out six months. I went to Clovis Community for a year and a half, straight F's. But because of what the early church did, and I dialed into that, I went back to college I went all the way through Clovis Community and all the way through FPU with a 4.0 GPA. Graduated in June, summa cum laude from Fresno Pacific University. And finally, I'd walked away from the calling that God had on my life. The calling that he wanted for me, which was to be a pastor. I knew in high school that's what he wanted me to do, but the thing is, I was living my own life and going my own direction and trusting in myself and leaning on my own abilities, and because of that, I walked away from it and wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I was living like an idiot. But then I dialed into what the early church did. I trusted in God. Again, I leaned on his abilities and I listened to his direction. And I had the word on the front of my mind and the tip of my tongue. And because of that, I am now living out the calling that God has on my life. And it is such a blessing. See, the thing is, if we want to climb the mountains that are in front of us, if we want to get to the top and see it for what it truly is, a moment for us to grow spiritually and become more mature in our walk with Christ, we must have the word on the front of our mind and the tip of our tongue. We do that by reading the word, meditating on it, and praying. And then we must learn to trust in God, listen to his direction, and lean on him.